welcome to the Succeeding Over All Roadblocks LifeCast, a show about self-discovery and vibrating higher in every area of your life. Each week, I'll have conversations with some of my favorite people who are soaring over life's challenges. They'll share their struggles, but more importantly, the lessons they've learned along the way. I'm your host, Keisha Whitaker, entrepreneur and transformational speaker. Let's get ready to soar. In this episode, me and my guest are going to discuss a very sensitive topic, and I want to make sure I handle it with care. October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month, and I think it's so important to shed light on it. Danielle Scott has been at the highest of heights as an international Hall of Famer and a five-time Olympian in indoor volleyball. Known as one of the best middle blockers in the world, she is a two-time silver medalist, was an NCAA record holder and champion while at Long Beach State, and enjoyed a successful career playing professionally all over the world. She experienced one of the lowest of lows when she was stabbed in an attack trying to save her sister Stephanie. Stephanie was allegedly murdered by her husband of 14 years, whom she was separated from at the time. He went on the run and was found and arrested 36 days later. Through it all, Danielle has maintained her positive outlook for herself and her daughter. You will hear why she is the very definition of what it means to soar. I want to introduce you to Danielle Scott. Hey, Danny. Hi, Keisha. Thank you so much for having me on your show. And as you've read all those accolades, I'm so proud of you. And I'm glad that you remember me from our way back years, you know, back in 2000, where where we met in Colorado Springs. So, so happy for you and the journey that you've taken to with Toastmasters and your social media and media relations, journalism, and now uh, taking all those skills to share with everyone and give back through this podcast or life cast. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I want to go down memory lane a little bit back to Colorado Springs where we met. I thought you were just the most humble and most sweet spirit that I ever met. I really looked up to you as a big sister when I was there. So over the years, I've always had that affinity for you. I played volleyball all through high school and even like my freshman year in college. So I really wanted to play. And I just was like, well, I probably won't get to play anymore. But I get to be hang out with the players on the team. Like I'm on, I'm hanging out with all like team USA. This is like, this is really dope. So, you know, working for the U S Olympic committee was a really great experience for me and I got to meet you. And so I'm just so so grateful that we've been able to stay in touch over the years and continue our friendship. Yeah. One of the fond memories I have, I don't know if you remember this, it was you, myself, Therese Crawford, There may have been one more person, but I I think it may have been just the three of us. But we decided to sing our favorite hymns. Do you remember that? Our favorite Christian hymns. And I sang His Eyes on the Sparrow. And I don't remember what you sang, but I was like, we need to get ourselves a group (laughs) together and just harmonize and glorify God. I mean, but we really had that really nice connection as Christian, as friends. Yeah, that's a really fun moment. We had so many memories. Like, I can't wait. Teresa is going to be on the show at some point. And I cannot wait to just bring up all the stuff that we used to do, how we used to hang out. And I'll tell you this. I remember 
you guys, I used to be a very attached person, right? So back in the day, I remember you guys used to go off. You had to go play somewhere or something like that. And you guys came to see me. I think you're going to Japan or something. And you guys came to see me before you left to say goodbye. And you and Therese came in and you guys, we, we hung out, we chatted, hugged, said our goodbyes. And when you guys left, I cried so hard. I was like, oh. <laughs> I miss like, my friends. But yeah, you yeah. guys really touched me and left an indelible mark on me and inspired me to do a lot of things too. So I'm just happy that we're that we're back together and able to stay in touch and all that. Yes, I, I definitely agree with that. And really excited to be in your life and, and a part of this program and everything that you have to share. So yeah, let's jump into it. What's going on with you? Oh, wow. So I am dabbling in quite a few things. So I retired back in 2014. That was my last season that I played in Brazil. So that was one of the places that I played. And when I retired, I took time. So where did you, where all did you play first? Okay. So um, professionally, I played in Brazil most of my career for about 10, 10 seasons. That's not 10 years, it's 10 seasons because each season was from six to eight months, right? I played two seasons in Japan. I played in Puerto Rico and I also played in Italy. So I'm one of the fortunate ones who kind of had more than one year with a team, which it kind of helped me have like a home away from home and knowing where I would go the next year. But those are the places that I played. And so I did have intentions of going for a sixth Olympics, believe it or not. But there was a new coach, Karch Karali, who took over from being assistant. And he just went a different direction that did not include me. And God has his plans. And it ends up being divine because while you don't know it at the time, you know, it works out for you good. And, and that's how great God is. So in 14, 2014, I finished my last season professionally, that is playing internationally. And then I took some time just being a mom and having that time to engage with my daughter a lot more and then taking care of my mom. I learned that her cancer had come back. So I had time to just, you know, take care of her. And then after that, I was introduced and met my mom actually passed in 2015. And so had I been going for my six Olympics, I know her, she would have just pushed me and told me to go and do that and, and put on the front like she was fine. And it would have been a difficult time, not a, a difficult decision. I definitely would have chosen to stay and take care of her. But as it was, I didn't have to make a choice. I just stayed there. So that's why I say it's divine. Like we don't know why things shift in our lives, but if you embrace it and you're able to just move and look forward to your next, then things always work out. So I was able to spend that year taking care of my mom. And and so it was weird one day I was in Target and I saw a familiar face and we ended up like looking at each other and trying to figure out how we knew each other. And then finally, Brittany Temple, she came up and she said, hey, maybe you don't remember me, but I played volleyball at Tulane and I've watched your career, blah, blah, blah. And we began a friendship. 
Well, she works with Primerica, and so that was my introduction. So I am an advocate for financial literacy, and I'm licensed in life and in securities. So I help families make and save money and plan a legacy for their lives. So I went from being an athlete and entertaining and inspiring to something a little more impactful in trying to help families build a financial legacy. So that's one of the things. I do. I also right now, this is the was supposed to be the Olympic year. So the IOC partnered with Airbnb to put online experiences together. So I have two online experiences that you can find at Airbnb website. One is five country tour with five time Olympian. And the other is a volleyball master class with volleyball both have some fun thing in it like one I teach a a dance and the other I do a hit program and then they both end with doing a vision board so that's something I do that's really fun to engage with those clients and then our guests rather and then also what my main focus is is doing public speaking and workshops. So because of COVID, everyone has kind of had to pivot into doing the virtual workshops and and speaking on a virtual platform. But those are things that I'm working on. I'm also in the midst of writing a book and creating a course that would go with that. So I got a lot of things going on on top of being a mom. But I, I think because my life has been so busy, I wouldn't know how to live life otherwise. So now you... I mean, yeah, you're doing it. I'm always in awe of you. And so I know you said you're doing some color commentary for LSU, for their volleyball. You live in Louisiana. Tell me about that. Last year, I had an opportunity to do the digital for the SEC network. And so that was really fun to engage and get back into the game because I also do some camps and clinics during the summer and I have my annual camp as well through Daniel Scott Enterprises. In the summers, I work with USA High Performance. That's my way of giving back to the youth. And I said I retired in 14, but I continue to play annually with the U.S. Opens. Until last year, I was with the the Opens category. But this year, I had signed up with the 40s and under, and we were going to go and try to take on the world of the 40s and under. But now, I recently was given an opportunity to work with the CST Network, which shows a lot of the high school volleyball. It was so great to see the game. And be in that moment again, because that seems like eons ago. But as I was watching the kids play, it was really fun to like share my insight and and be a part of the game again in a different way. So, yes, I, I, I do color analysis when, when I'm asked to fill in. So tell me how you're doing all this and being a mom. You have a 10 year old daughter. Who is amazing. And, yeah, she is. <laughs> and she's, she's starting out just like mommy. She's involved in so many different things. You know, the times have changed so much. Like when I was younger, obviously I didn't get it started as soon as she did. I didn't start club volleyball until uh, my sophomore year. But from middle school, after the sixth grade, when they allowed us to actually participate in sports, I did volleyball, basketball, softball, track and field, right? Even through college, I had a semester of track and field. <laughs> 
like crazy. So now though, the kids are starting so young playing with as volley tots or in a, you know, the younger age from three to four already participating in sports. And they're actually more specified sports. Like they don't engage in a whole lot of different ones because they commit so soon. I'm actually an advocate of trying out a lot of different things and then see where you land. Eventually you'll have to probably specialize, but in the earlier years, I think it's pivotal that you play different sports. So she's been introduced to soccer and basketball. We play a little bit volleyball around the house. She hasn't fully committed to that, but we have fun with that. And then she does the arts as well. So she's in drama. She does dance, ballet, tap and jazz. She plays the ukulele. She just was accepted into the talent program for piano. And then she's very academic. She's in the gifted program as well. So she's trying to make her well-rounded, well, at least expose her to many things. And then, of course, I'll support her in whichever direction she goes. Yeah. And that's so important that we give our kids opportunities. A lot of things that, particularly in the Black community, we don't know and we don't realize because we we haven't been exposed to it. I didn't know I could paint until I was an adult. Like I have paintings that I've painted that are in my house. So you know, had I been exposed to that as, at an earlier age, you know, you start to develop those, find out, oh, I'm good at these things that you didn't know you were good at. So it's awesome that you are exposing her to so much right now. Oh, and thank you. I'm just so proud of you <laughs> and proud of her. She's a sweetheart. She's a sweetheart. So I want to get a little deep. And this is a question I ask all of my guests. And I want, you know, you to kind of think about this. And let's say everything's gone. All of the accolades all of the awards, the silver medals, the trappings of life, all of that's gone. Who is Danielle Scott? I'm a mom. I'm a friend. I'm a daughter. I am honest. I am loyal. So I have, as you see with us, we jump right back into our friendship. So even though apart, you know, I'm loyal. I am generous. I have a lot of love and compassion, and I enjoy helping people. So I think in the heart of it, that's who I am. I am a Christian and a woman of faith, and I have lots of hope and positivity to share. That you do. That is something I I swear, (laughs) like I've never, you have it like in spades, like I've never seen before. Your positivity is otherworldly to me. I'm always like amazed at how... (laughs) inspiring and positive you are. And so that's a great segue into talking about, you know, some of the some of the roadblocks that that you faced and how you've handled them with such positivity. I know you've had some losses, like you mentioned, you lost your mom and you, you know, you lost everything in the great flood and then your sister. So kind of talk, talk through those things chronologically, if you will. Since I retired, you know, retiring and the transition from athlete to the real world is already a big deal, especially if you hadn't planned. You know, I didn't realize that I might play the length of the career that I had. I was really blessed to not have many injuries and still be at the top of the game for as long as I had. And I kept saying, oh, I have more time. I have more time. And I hadn't really planned where I would be. So that is already an adjustment, right? And then 2015, I lose my mom. In 2016, the great flood of Louisiana happens, which 
was probably the next biggest thing to Katrina that happened back in 2000, I think six or five. Yeah, 2005, yeah. And so having that next where I lost everything, every practically everything in my home, all my possessions, a lot of my memorabilia and, you know, it was tough, like having to live in a trailer, having some assistance, you know, depending on my assistance from that. And then in 17, I, I, 2017, I lost my grandfather. And then 18, something unimaginable happens, like so unexpected. Those things are unexpected, but, you know, death, you know, you expect that it's going to happen. The great flood was unexpected, but the way that I lost my sister is something that you watch in a movie, right? But actually I was there when it happened. And although I can't talk about all the details because it's an open case, I can tell you it's something that I have to live with every day and dealing and coping with that type of trauma is uh, something that's ongoing and and people will deal with it differently. But I choose to find something positive in it. Like, how can you find something positive in a loss of your sister in the way it was? I believe God works in you. Like our stories are not our own. So I've been able to share my experience with it and the things that I saw and didn't see or expect and, and some different signs to look for. So if that's a positive where I can maybe shed light and help someone else, that's how I've dealt with different things, you know, grief. And when my daughter perhaps is thinking about my mom or my sister, like how we can think of the good memories that we've created and shared together, how we can just take one day at a time, you know, and then make sure we're expressing and communicating with each other is a way that we dealt with it. And, and then for me, it's just maintaining the faith, keeping a prayer alive and looking outside of myself into how I might be able to help, empower, inspire someone else. So tell me, I know you sustained some injuries in that attack. What were some of those injuries? Sure. So when the incident happened, again, it was really unexpected. And while trying to help my sister, I was stabbed uh, six times in the process. And uh, so I got stabbed in both my hands, was stabbed on my arm, my lower leg, I was stabbed in the knee and my upper thigh. For a moment, I passed out during the incident. When I woke up, I was in the ambulance. I don't believe it was a very long time, but I do remember that feeling of like, I'm not of myself. And then when I woke up, I was, I was in the ambulance and it was a really just unbelievable moment when it happened. And, you know, since then, you know, I've been deemed as a hero, which is really hard to feel when the ultimate impact was the loss of my sister. Right. So I'm like, how is that any act of heroism when I wasn't able to save her? So that's something else you know, that someone in that type of situation myself has to deal with. It's looking at not, you know, I would say for anyone in that situation is to not blame yourself, but to try to be more informed next time, you know, allow yourself some, some grace in that because our bodies are always in a battle of fight or flight. And so at the moment you do everything you can And that's what I did. 
And unfortunately, I wasn't able to help her more than I was. But what I know in her not being here with us anymore, she's in a better place. You know, some of the things that I attributed to her having diabetes and some of those side effects, I think now I can see where those were more than that. And it was covered up from their relationship in a form that, oh, I'm not feeling well. Oh, my stomach's, you know, bloated, but it was more to it. So now in hindsight, I realize and I see more things from from where I could have been more aware and maybe had some type of intervention before, but I didn't know those things until afterwards. And so that's where I can feel not so guilty that I wasn't able to do more because you you respond and do according to what you know. Right. Yeah, absolutely right. And tell me about, I'm going to come back to some of the things that you just mentioned, but I want us to really understand who your sister Stephanie was. And just tell me about who Stephanie was and, and how she added, you know, was the life of the family and that kind of thing. Sure. So you probably could see my, my face just kind of lit up when you asked me who my sister was. My sister was a great woman of God as well. And I learned after her passing just how many people she influenced. Like she was sending messages of positivity and hope to so many people who reached out to her, to us afterwards. And even still today, like they're reaching out to her oldest daughter, you know, and, and talking about the impact she had on her life. She was so loving and kind and generous. She was that person that whenever you came to her house, there was something to eat. She was going to feed you. You know how we are in the South, very hospitable. Like she always had something to offer you, always had a nice comment to say, to edify you, to lift you up. She saw life in such a big way. And she was used uh, mightily through God to, again, to impart that hope and and love and just just very sweet. So, but when we were growing up, we we had our sibling fights, right? Where I would say, "Mom, Stephanie did this out of the other," and you know, we'd have that. But you know, we grew close closer and closer as we became adults, and we were best friends, you know, until the end. So we we had each other's back through everything, and and she was just a great friend, a great mom, and even a great wife that just just was not appreciate it. And I think a lot of times, you know, with domestic violence, you know, we, we grew up just the two of us, you know, and sometimes we, we, I think we didn't have all the confidence because we were, we thought we were middle-class, but you know, looking back, I'm like, my mom was a single mom struggling, working two jobs you know, we didn't have the name brand stuff, but we were clean and we in, enjoyed, you know, the things of life. We, we, we didn't realize, you know, that we were poor. And so sometimes that can affect your self-esteem. And in that, when you're not confident or you have low self-esteem, sometimes you attract certain types of relationships, right? And so, and you're always just trying to fit in. Those who are of the dominant nature, they find those people and they export that. And so I think that's one of the things that kind of brought, you know, that situation upon. At any rate, I I think we have to 
start with loving ourselves more. Start with, you know, self-care. September is self-care month. You know, finding ways to lift ourselves up and do life with others. You know, one of the things, and I know I'm kind of going around with the information I'm sharing, but one of the things uh, that happens when there's an abuser is there's isolation. You know, whenever that happens, you know that something's not right. And so we're meant to do life together. And and sometimes you do have to limit your circle, you know, but in general, if, if you're feeling like you're isolated and alone, know that you don't have to be right. And so you have to reach out. So that was one of the first signs that you noticed with your sister was isolation. Were there any other signs uh, that stood out to you or that in hindsight, looking back, oh, that was a sign, but you didn't notice it? Right. You know, I was blessed to be able to travel the world and I was blessed to be able to, you know, say, hey, come here and visit me and and pay for it. Right. And every time there was always a reason why she couldn't come, except for once she did take it, take me up and came out. She was just like, I'm going. And she came out and visited with me in Japan. But yeah, isolation, I guess noticing their spirit, if you see a shift in their spirit, and maybe it's only temporary. Like maybe it's like you see a change in their face, but then they brighten back up when they notice you're looking at them. You know, so noticing things like that, I guess also the different pains that she felt, I I alluded to this earlier, while I thought it was related to her diabetes. Sometimes she would complain, oh, my tooth hurt, you know, and I thought, well, maybe you know, it's because she, her insulin was, was too high and it's affected her body in this way, or my stomach's bloated. Was that? So I, I think, yeah, that was definitely one of the things uh, that I noticed as well. I, other things is, you know, when the person is controlling, sometimes, you know, maybe she wanted to stay a little bit longer, but he was like, come on, let's go. So things like that. And, and subtle things, but in hindsight, now, you know, I, it, things are more clear. So yeah, that, that's definitely a couple of things I would say that you can look out for. And, you know, domestic violence comes in, in different ways. Like I said, it's not just the physical abuse, it's mental and emotional abuse. She started to say, I'm tired, you know, but I, I didn't get into as much what that really meant, you know? So I've learned that there's an exercise that you can do and not there, but you can make it conversational, but it's something to help you really check in and be present. So that's really important in any relationship is to, to really be present. So how are you? And then they, maybe they just say, I'm fine. But if you follow that up with, how does that make you feel? What, what does that mean that you're fine? And then how can I support you? is a way that you can make the person know that they're not alone and that you're there for them. Yeah, you're absolutely right on that. You hit you hit the nail on the head as far as some of the signs that people may exhibit. And a lot of times abusers are really good at hiding those things publicly, but in private, they let loose. And so you never know. And then, like you said, with your sister, you thought she was just, you know, comp- things that were going on with diabetes and she was covering that up as well. And so, you know, a lot of people are dealing with that. And it's so hard to see the signs when people are masking it. And then there's the psychological, the emotional, the verbal Mm. abuse, and even Mm -hmm. the economic and financial part of it. So it's not just always physical. And then there's the sexual abuse as well. 
So mm-hmm. there's so much that we need to really think about and consider and really be mindful of with people. And I love that exercise of checking in with someone and asking those deeper questions to really pull out what's really going on. Because, and that's why it's so important for me. Like when I saw your video, you first talked about the injuries that you had. I picked up the phone and called right away. I was like, no, I got to see what's going on with my girl because I need to hear people's voices. Like, it's so important for me. Like people will text you and say, I'm good. I'm fine or whatever. But you don't know what what's really going on behind the scenes. And so when I hear a person's voice, like there's some level of discernment in me that picks up on something's not right here. Or sometimes I get a feeling in my spirit, like someone will just come to me. Like there's a name that will come to me out of the blue. And I'll say, I need to call that person. And uh, Mm -hmm. my dad, it was like that with my dad. A lot of times something would say, call your dad in my spirit, call your dad. And I would always honor that and call him. You know, we talked a little bit more frequently, particularly, you know, before his passing. And we spent a lot of time together before he passed. But it was always something that said, call your dad. And every time that spirit, that little inkling said, do it, he needed me. Mm. So... Yeah, we have to honor that thing that we feel in ourselves for other people. You know, I'm just glad that, you know, you were able to learn that, you know, looking back on it, draw some of those things so that you can help other people as well. And like you said, it it, it definitely is happening more often than we realize, especially now during this pandemic from the COVID-19. Some of the stats before the COVID-19 is like one in three women are affected by some type of abuse. And it's not limited to just women, men too, one in four experience it. And on an average, before the pandemic, it was 24 people per minute who are being exposed to some type of domestic violence or abuse. It's definitely something that we need to bring more awareness about. Absolutely. And I and I really was thinking about that too. It's like, it's not just men versus women. It's not just women. I mean, men can experience it. It's anyone. It's siblings in the home. It's a domestic situation mm-hmm. is domestic abuse within a home. And so I want people to be really aware and cognizant of that piece. And then how how are we, you know, our culture, our culture, our patriarchal culture of men dominating and then the rape culture, we have to start teaching men how to not, you know, be violent towards women, how to respect women. I think it starts with men coaching men and starting Mm -hmm. them as, you know, and boys, because there's no accountability when it comes to that or anyone for that matter, anyone who is lashing out and abusing someone. It could be a woman abusing. I mean, it's, it's, some treatment that we've seen that we're exhibiting on someone else. Mm-hmm. And so until we begin to really get to the heart of what's going on, it's like, it's just a scab, a sore that's festering. And until mm-hmm. you really peel back and, and dress that wound and really get to the, get to the actual infection of it and, and clean that out, our society, we're going to always deal with this. And so We need men to step up too. we need them to say we can't say that it's not our our problem or that's just, you know, that's their business because someone's life could be in danger. Sure. 
So tell me how you have been able to, because that that's a lot. That is very heavy. Some of the things that you've had to do. And so it just shows the strength and resilience that you have. So where do you go to draw that positivity to keep your daughter going and to keep yourself going and those around you inspired and motivated be, is because I always think that athletes have such a mindset. It's on another level. And I look at, you know, the Michael Jordans and people like that who have that type of mindset. It's like if you have the mind and the capacity, you can defeat any challenge. And so where do you go? Where do, what do you draw from to to be able to soar over these roadblocks? Sure. Well, for me, you know, my mom helped create a strong spiritual foundation. And so that's the first place I go to. I, I pray, I meditate, I get into the word. And one of the scriptures, I think, uh, is, is Joshua 1, 9, that says, we are not to be discouraged and know that God is with us always, right? And so no matter if it's a challenging situation, I know that I'm going to be okay. If it's something that's going well, I know that I am going to be okay. And so that's the first place I go. And I tell you, when I was injured, I really saw the strength of the volleyball community and the world. Although right now it seemed like there's a lot of unrest going on. But when we are in agreement about things. There were so many people praying for me internationally at home that I felt a sense of peace from that that was indescribable, right? But I know it was because of all of those people who were with me during that time and wanting me to be well and wanting things to come out great. And then I had my daughter to live for as well. So when you have a why and a reason to help you overcome any type of obstacle, that is what you're going to focus on. And then you will find a way. And I guess, you know, there are different exercises that you can can use to help in building your mindset and help in building your self-esteem and confidence. In fact, I have on my website, daniellodescott.com. If you subscribe, you can download my affirmation guide and a mirror guide that just kind of helps you give gratitude to yourself and edify yourself. But because we're, we spend the most time with ourselves, right? So if we're listening to negative talk or thinking down about whatever it might be, then you're going to hear that what 80,000 thoughts, a lot of it's repetitive, you know, so if you're repeating negative things to yourself, you're going to be down and not be able to come out of the situation. But if you're affirming yourself, you're expressing gratitude, then those are ways that will help you overcome any type of obstacles. And I think also surrounding yourself with people who are going to do the same. Obviously, you want people who are going to be real with you too, but you know, having people who are going to lift you up and kind of help you see the light when you don't or see the positive in you when you may not or maybe blinded to it. So I think those are things that or things that help me come out of out of those different situations and just having this no matter what resilience, you know, about it and knowing that no matter where you are in a situation, you do not have to stay there. It's a choice that you can make. And so I think those are things that I try to apply, or rather I apply to my life. And that's really been helpful in getting me out, you know, difficult circumstances or 
uh, things that I've had to overcome and, you know, know that there's life isn't always going to be positive. I've, I've said that before, because if everything's all great, you wouldn't know what to be grateful for. Right. So you have to learn from the different lessons that are presented to you or they seek to find a lesson in whatever the situation might be. And then you can see the objective or the the outcome for the other side rather than being stuck in where you are. Those are amazing tips. And I have been kind of on the other side of that, too, having, you know, dealing with the negative self-talk and some of those things and to see how you do it. And I've just watched you over the years and, and how you have come through situations. It's like, wow, like I need, I need some of that. I need some of that. So <laughs> thank you for sharing that with people. And something that I do that really helps too, is I journal. I've journaled mm-hmm. all my life just about. And nowadays I journal more about situations and the lessons that come out of those situations. So I can look back on that and say, wow, okay, I learned that or I just like to document that in case mm-hmm. I forget. There's that reminder of, okay, you went through that and these are the lessons that you learned. This is how you want to change it or do better next time. And I love your tips and I love journaling. And it also helps me get it out where I don't have to talk about it with anyone, but I just get it out of my system because if sure. not, it'll just fester in me. And I'll just keep thinking about, like you said, those 80,000 thoughts that keep going and going. And my mind is like a ticker tape, you know, like that. It just keeps rolling and rolling. It's like, shut off. And so meditation does help with that. I do meditate a lot, pray, write. So those are some great techniques. One of the things I I like to do too, with those negative thoughts, and it seems like a real like silly thing to do, but when you have a negative thought or you have a thought that will discourage you or make you feel not enough or not worthy or that you can't do it, whatever it is you're trying to accomplish, Write it down, like you said, and then throw it away because now you've made room in your mind to fill it with something that you can do. Also, just getting rid of those words like can't, I'm not able to, like things like that. Just getting rid of that out of your vocabulary. And if you say that, had another word, which is very helpful for me, yet. I'm not able to yet. If you just put that small word on the end, then that will help you come out of whatever it is that you feel that you are not, again, able to do right then. But I tell you, coming through some of the injuries that I had, I I have a new respect. One of the things that I, I was able to see, too, was from the position of disabled person, because I had both my hands in cast. I had an upright walker. I was limping, right? And so I found myself in one situation where, and it was surprising, I just felt isolated at that moment. Like people would either not, would either stare at me or in question like, what what happened to her? Both hands are injured. Or they would avoid me. So I had, I'd experienced being stared at before because I'm tall and I bring attention when in my presence, you know, coming in a room, right? But not so much of the other half of like being invisible besides when I was younger and shy. Sometimes I felt that way. But in this particular moment where I had sustained those injuries, I remember there was a time I was sitting in church and the pastor likes to say, turn around and give each person high five, you know, just greet the person. And the people around me, I guess they didn't know how to react. And so they just didn't do anything. Didn't put a hand on me. Didn't. I was like, whoa, what? 
I saw definitely a different perspective because, you know, maybe they don't know. Maybe if your hands are injured, maybe they feel like some other part might be hurt or something. But that was just a really awkward moment, you know, for me, but gave me appreciation of like, okay, how do I see someone who is different from me? Do I engage with them? It made me more aware of what I do when it comes to someone who's different from me. So again, in this time where there's so much going on and we're trying to bring, I know the show is about domestic violence, but bringing attention to our differences and wanting justices, racial justice, equality for, for all, just being more aware and uh, appreciative of the difference and more inclusive is a way to to really think about how you are as a person, right? And how you can contribute to more inclusion and tolerance. Yeah, you're absolutely right about that. And it's as of this recording, it's the day after the verdict for Breonna Taylor. And I mm. have just, you know, I was absolutely heartbroken that the situation is she has no justice for, you know, she's laying in bed sleeping. How? You know, and then the one guy that did get indicted, it was based on him shooting through the wall. Like the wall was more important than her life. Like that is what you focus on. You know, I've just been, I mean, we could feel hopeless. We really could. But this is our reality. And particularly as black women, this is our charge, you know, to stand up for ourselves. No one's going to support. No one's going to step up for us like we are. And so it's our charge to really step up. We are the most unprotected, neglected, disrespected, you know, Malcolm X said it best. So I think it's time for us to just really rally around and protect each other as much as we can and stand up for each other as much as we can. Because, I mean, we're in some very, very unique times that where we are, I thought we would never be. We, You know, a lot of us thought, you know, this stuff was a lot of it had been, you know, left behind as far as the generation before us that fought for civil rights. And we thought we were making advances and making strides. But now we're seeing that history, you know, does repeat itself. If you don't know your history, you're doomed to repeat it. And so, you know, it's for it's up to us. So while there have been some strides, there's always room for improvement and more change to come. And so there's a saying out, don't wait for change, be the change. And so that is relative to the awareness of domestic violence. It's, it's for the injustices and racial and, and inequalities that are happening right now. And I think, you know, conversations are, are high right now. So it's a good time to move towards making those changes and definitely have your voice heard and, um, you know, the elections are coming up. So it start it starts right there. Yes, absolutely. Look, I would be remiss if we didn't get that message in like vote, <laughs> vote, vote, vote. So, yes, Danny, I just want to thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story, being the friend that you are, first of all, like my sister friend and just coming on and sharing your story and sharing your positivity, your energy, your warmth with us. And I know that people are going to absolutely gain so much from you today. So thank you. Well, I knew they would, but, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I also want to just wrap it up with leaving uh, the hotline number. Yes, um, I have that. Yeah, I have it right here. So yeah, go ahead. Leave it. Leave it. 
Yeah. So it's 800-799-7233. Yes. Helpguide.org is a website that has a lot of great information on domestic abuse. I was reading about it a little bit earlier and it gives you all the signs. It talks about you know, all of the uh, psychological, emotional, economic and financial, the types of abuse there are, and then the actual signs of an abuser. And then the National Domestic Violence Hotline, which is the one you just mentioned, 1-800-799-7233. And their website is thehotline.org. And I'll drop all of this in the description. And so make sure we're sharing this information and getting it out. So Danny, thank you again, my love, my sister. I really appreciate you. Thank you and appreciate you. And God bless you with all of your endeavors. And may this show again be a blessing to many. Thank you. Amen. I receive that. And God bless you too. And until next week, keep soaring, y'all. Thanks for listening to the Succeeding Over All Roadblocks Lifecast. Follow the show on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Soar Lifecast for more tips and motivation. You can also email questions to SoarLifecast at gmail.com. Be sure to catch new episodes every week and leave a review of the show. Until then, keep soaring. <laughs>